I'm hoping that you got a handout. Uh, we, we, we tend to have this as a bit of a uh, tradition, Aaron, that we, we have these handouts. And the reason for this, it's, it's not just something that you can scribble on or use as a bookmark in your Bibles, but an opportunity to conscientiously think about what it is that we've been talking about this morning. And for a number of our, our growth groups, they, uh, they follow our, our sermon series. Once again, a good plug for our growth group, isn't it? If you're not part of a growth group, see Rhonda down the front there. We've got a number of them that we're kicking off again uh, for the last term of, of this year. Can we, can we pause and pray? Heavenly Father, we, we recognise our complete dependence upon you. And as we open up your word, save us from just trying to fill in the gaps in our own mind as to what it is that we want to hear or what it is that we want to take away. We want you by your spirit to speak to us. So beyond ourselves, your spirit speaking to us as we open up your word, that it won't be just good information, it won't be just something that you know, we can hang our hat on, but this is something that's going to transform us. So speak to us and lead us, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. So with your Bible in one hand and the study guide in the other and ears and eyes open, here we, here we go. We, we're starting a new sermon series and this is going to take us through uh, towards the end of November. And as I've already said, we're, we're in the middle of this visioning journey. And it's exciting because what we're basically saying is, Heavenly Father, we're asking that you will lead us so that we can frame the decisions, our priorities, to what it is that you would have for us as Lismore Baptist Church going into the future. Why do we exist? Purpose. What are the things that you have put within us that have made us unique as Lismore Baptist Church? What are our values? And, and from that, what is the vision that you have called us to as we seek to minister into our community? Now, um, to help us through this, um, we're going to be looking at what it's called the, the, the core five values. Now, these are values that were developed by the Baptist Association of New South Wales and ACT. And they did this a number of years ago to kind of help us as a movement of Baptist churches to uncover and discover what it is that makes us as a collection of Baptist churches um, uh, common values together that we would operate in. And so we're going to be looking at, there's five of these values, so that makes sense that we're going to have the, the, the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at these values. Now, I don't know whether you've understood this, although Steve and I have sort of talked about this over the last few weeks. We all have values. We all have values individually. We all have values as a church. Now, think about the, the values that you may have as individuals. You may value uh, finance. And so what you do is you arrange everything within your life in order to make as much money as you can, because that's a value that you have. You, you may value health. And so what happens is your value system would be, I'm going to do everything within my life and my priorities to ensure that I live a a healthy life. There could be a value of, this is at the forefront of my mind at the moment, good holidays. Hey, we all value 
time away as a family. So a lot of your finance and your efforts and everything like that will be geared towards making sure that every now and then we have this, this time together as a family on a holiday. Do you, do you understand? We all have these values. And most of the values that we have, we don't even think about. We just do because that is what's wired within us. And they bring about an emotional response. So uh, if, if, for example, your value system is, is finance and you don't have a lot of money, that's going to be quite emotive because that's something that's really important to you. Or if you really value your annual holiday getaway and your boss says at the last minute, sorry, you can't have that time off, you'll have to pick another time, that will elicit a significant emotional reaction within you, true? We have these values and they will elicit either a positive or a negative emotional response. Now, we also have values within our church. So collectively, as a whole bunch of individuals, when we get together, there are values that start to operate. And most of these values we don't consciously think about. We just, we just do. And one of the important things about all of this is that as we spend time in a visioning journey, seek to uncover these values, it, it paints a picture of who we are, the unique people that we are, which feeds into our unique position as to how we operate within our community. Now, for some of them, you know, the, these values, and I, I don't want to um, go ahead of ourselves within this process, but there are, there are some churches, for example, that would have a heavy focus on social justice. We don't think and talk about it, but whenever we see about an issue um, uh, politically or, or economically within our society, we get really emotional about it because that's a value that we may have, some churches may have, or we may have, or whatever. Do you understand what... We don't always label it or tick it and say, this is who we are, but it's just the way in which we operate. And as part of this, we want to be able to un uncover these values so that we can name it, celebrate it, and sometimes there might be some negative values that we need to deal with. It could be, you know, um, selfishness, for example, or, or, or something like that that we need to name and, and, and deal with. So these values, they build slowly, they change slowly, and I think it's helpful for us to think Individually, what are our what, what do I value? But also as a church, what are our values? So we're not suggesting that these five values that we're going to be looking at over the, the next five weeks are the values within this church that we must adapt, although they are from our Baptist Association. And I don't think there'll be any, I'm hoping there won't be anybody here that'll go, I'm not going to adopt that value. But it helps us to think about what it is as the way we operate. Now, as I said, these were developed uh, about eight or nine years ago by our Baptist Association. And I'm going to quickly go through the five and then we're going to zero in on the first one, okay? So here's the, the, the five of them. The first one, and we're going to be looking at this today, Christ-centered. And we're going to be looking at about what it means to have a value that is Christ-centered. Next week, and Paul is going to bring us this one, what does it mean to be mission-shaped? So our set, the, the Baptist Association's second value is to be mission-shaped. And we're going to dig around a little bit next week to find out what does it mean to be mission-shaped. Third one, relationally committed. Fourth one, people empowering. And the fifth one, partnership orientated. 
Now, a lot of big words there, and uh, I'm not going to try to dig around in all of those. We've got the next five weeks to look at this. But essentially, they're statements of what we value as a, an association of, of Baptist churches. They're not exhaustive, so it doesn't mean that, you know, there's not other things that we value, but they are what's called the core five, the big five values of what was determined a number of years ago that uh, the way Baptist churches in New South Wales and the ACT operated. It's how we operate. It's what we hold closely. It's, it's how we make decisions, each week, we're going to look at one of these values. So, but today, as I said, we're going to be looking at what it means to be Christ-centred. Now, as I said, you can follow quite closely in our study guide. This is the one that we're going to be looking at today. Now, I can imagine for some of you go, uh, one of our values is Christ-centred. Well, duh, isn't that a Christian church? Shouldn't it be Christ-centred? I mean, do we even need to mention that a Christian church would be Christ-centred? You're probably thinking that, weren't you? That's the end of it. We're Christ-centred. Benediction. Let's go out for morning tea. Or, or is it important for us to consider what does that mean to be Christ-centred? And also, even though we all subscribe to it, and I imagine if I asked you to put up your hand, you'd all say, yeah, we're, we're Christ-centred. But we need to revisit it. Why? Why do we observe communion every second week? We, we know we belong to Christ. We know what Christ has done for us. It's not just a tradition or a routine. We do it to continue to remind us of what Christ has done. And I don't know about you, but as human beings, we need constant reminding I'll say it again, you need constant reminding because we tend to drift off into our own spaces uh, and what other the louder voices may be. So it's important for us to reinforce again that we are Christ-centred. Now I'm not suggesting that this is going to be one of the, 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 the values that are going to come out for us as a church, but all I'm saying is as a, as a family of Baptist churches, this was determined to be the number one core value within our movement, to remind ourselves of our relationship with Christ and what he has done. Now, in each of these values over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at some sub-points that help reinforce this core value. And here's the first one of this sub-point. What it means to be Christ-centred is enjoying a dynamic relationship with Jesus. That's the, the first point. We enjoy a dynamic relationship with Jesus. Now, let's Let's dig into this a little bit. There's many belief systems that uphold the teaching of Jesus. There's thousands and thousands of people out in our community who think Jesus is all right. They can probably name a number of his teachings and parables and, and whatever, and they think Jesus is, is cool. For example, a belief system such as Islam has significant writing about Jesus as a prophet and, and teacher. As a matter of fact, they have more writing about Jesus than they do about Muhammad. They celebrate him as that. But amidst of all of this, this belief system of Islam, Jesus sits over on, this, as on the side as merely a, a prophet. 
He is revered and upheld and celebrated, but he's not central to that belief system. He sits off to the side. You see where I'm going with all of that? Now, if he's not the centre, then something else needs to be at the centre. Here, as a, a collection and a family of Baptist churches, we seek to place Christ in the centre. Now, look at this first sub-point. There's two parts to this sub-point, enjoying a dynamic relationship with Jesus that I want to focus on. And the first one, this is relationship. You know what makes it unique about us of being in the family of God is that we enjoy a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, once again, this is the ABCs of the Christian faith, isn't it? But I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name it. We, we enjoy a relationship with him. It's not just an awareness or not just a knowledge. I am continue to be amazed, although it probably shouldn't be amazed me, uh, throughout my life, I'm aware of people who have regularly gone to church, regularly gone to church. It's probably not as common as... Uh, today, it's not as common as what it used to be. Could, you could go to church and not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You could turn up at church. You could sing the songs. You could even pray. You could read your Bible. You could do all of those sort of things and not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, even me saying that, you go... Really? But it happens. And I think all of us, you know, you could probably be aware of, of people who go through and do the, the ritual of being a Christian but not having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is what I guess we want to, we want to make very, very clear. To be Christ-centered basically means that we have this relationship with him. He's called to us and we've responded I remember a number of years ago, I had a conversation with a, a, a Buddhist and a quite a well-informed Buddhist. And I was amazed in my conversation with him when he found out that I was a Christian. He knew some amazing stuff from the Bible, in the Gospels. He knew most of the parables, uh, much of the teachings of Jesus. And it amazed me that, that this Buddhist knew so much about Jesus. And here's the key. He knew about Jesus, but he didn't personally have a relationship with Jesus. And that, that is that's key in all of this. The second part I see in this statement, it's not just a relationship. What sort of a relationship is it? It's dynamic. Now, what do, what do we mean by, when we use the word dynamic? Well, I think one of the, the best ways to say Dynamic is kind of the opposite to passive. It means that this relationship has got to do something. Quite often you, you would see um, people who are, uh, are married and they're really married by, by ring and certificate only. I mean, really, the two uh, partners basically live separate lives and they are not affected by the other person, okay? Okay. Um, and you can see that, that you would all agree that that is not a dynamic relationship. It's quite passive. I remember as a, as a young bloke when all your friends are getting married and you know, they talk about getting married and they go, oh, yeah, I'm getting married, but I'm still going to be the same person. 
You know, you've heard that one. It's, it's not going to change. I'm, I'm still going to be the, the bloke you know. I don't know whether women say this sort of thing, but the blokes will say that. And you go, and I used to go along with that, but I, I suddenly realised, hang on, if you are going to have a significant relationship with another person, that has to change you, doesn't it? It has to change you. You have to be a different person when you're married through to when you were single. Now, for a lot of blokes, that's with a lot of pushing and shoving and changing and tears and disappointments and whatever, but it has to change you or else it's not really a relationship. Agreed? Yep, my wife is particularly agreeing with that. Yeah. Um, And so this is the point in all of this. This relationship has to change you. So what we're saying here is if we've got this dynamic relationship with Jesus, that has to transform us, doesn't it? And to that extent, I don't think you can really have a secret relationship with Jesus. Because something's got to change spiritually, emotionally and physically. You're going to be a different person. And this is what it means to enjoy a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Now, what it means to have this relationship with Jesus is very different to relationships we have with other people. Our relationship is going to be quite different because another aspect of this relationship is it's, it's quite exclusive. Let's have a look at this passage, John chapter 14, verse 6. Most of you would know this passage quite well. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is, this is confronting. I, I could imagine, I don't re- recall having this conversation with this Buddhist. I don't know what this, my Buddhist friend would have said regarding this passage. But it's quite confronting because it's basically saying that unless you have Christ at the center of your life, he is, he is the only one who's going to give us access to the Father. Some people focus on Jesus and they go, oh, he was great at serving the poor. And, you know, we talk about the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan or the, the, the giving the glass of water or the feeding of, of people or whatever. And, and that is great. But even Jesus declared that he is the only way. And the only way to, to really enjoy a good relationship with God is, is, is through Jesus. And even at the name of Jesus, it will elicit a response. I don't know if you remember, but um, a number of years ago, we had three posts out the front of our church here. We used to hang banners up. Do you remember? We, we, some of you have been around for a while. We had banners out the front. And we used to use it to advertise Brecky Church and cafes and fundraisers and all that sort of thing. It was a great opportunity because this is you know, quite a busy road and people driving past can see the sign and see what's going on. And... I remember when I first came here that they were used quite regularly. And I remember sort of saying, oh, look, they, they seem quite visible and accessible there. Do they get damaged at all by, by vandalism? And one of our, one of our people here, and I won't, won't embarrass this, this person, they said, interestingly enough, most of the time these banners didn't get vandalised at all. But every now and then when we made a statement and mentioned the name of Jesus, invariably uh, it would be vandalised very soon after that. Now, 
why, why is that, that you could advertise a, a brekkie church, a cafe church, a fundraiser here, a, a walk for Kenya or, or whatever, and, and, and put them up there and everyone will go, that's great. But as soon as you mention the name of Jesus, it seems to elicit a response, possibly positive, but quite often negative. Because it confronts people about what are you going to do about Jesus? Are you going to accept him or reject him? And for us, as followers of Jesus, we desire to keep Christ centre in our church, in our lives, and we're going to enjoy a dynamic relationship with Jesus. Second point is this. Being Christ-centred basically means we're going to rely on the Bible as foundational to shaping our understanding of Christ, our faith, and the world. It's a lot of words. Let me see if we can unpack that a little bit. We're bombarded with an enormous amount of information, whether it's uh, on, on TV, radio, social media, internet or whatever. We're just bombarded with this information. And the question we've got to ask is, what do you accept and what do you reject? When you're on the, on the internet, when you're watching the news, when you're talking with people within the community, what do you accept and what do you reject? We do this by what's called our worldview. Now, I don't know if you've heard about this term, a worldview, but we've all got a worldview. Now, what is a worldview? Now, I've actually put down a definition. There's a number of definitions, and there's even a little bit of confusion as to specifically what is a worldview. But in this case, I'll say, I'll say a worldview is a collection of attitudes. You've got this here in your study guide, by the way. A worldview is a collection of attitudes, values, stories and expectation about the world around us which inform our every thought and action. So we're talking about values. We're talking about attitudes. We're talking about expectations, etc. And these things will inform what we think about and how we act. Every single one of us have a worldview. Now, for many of us, we have a number of worldviews, and there's a number of worldviews that we can hold in tension, but when it comes to the push, comes to the shove, and we need to make a decision, we will tend to make a decision based on our predominant worldview. Does that make sense? How we view the world. Now, for example, and I think one of the big tensions at the moment is with regard to where our, our nation is at. And so we can say that you could have a nationalistic worldview. In other words, what we're saying is, I'm going to do everything to uphold Australia. And so what we're going to do is I'm, I'm going to fly the flag and I'm going to you know, do this and do that. And it, it become a, a nationalistic person. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that necessarily until it comes into clash with another worldview. And I want to propose that here, what we're talking about here is the importance of a biblical worldview. That we, as it says here, rely on the Bible as foundational to shaping our understanding of Christ, our faith, and the world. It's through the Bible and a biblical worldview that we're going to view decisions and thoughts regarding that. And there will be a time where there will be a clash between you know, our nation's decisions or us as the Bible or whatever, and we have to understand and respond accordingly. Now, there could be such things as, you know, how we celebrate um, 
significant days, whether it's Easter and Christmas or whether it's Anzac Day or Australia Day or whatever, or decisions that are made by our leaders. Another aspect of all of this could be a, a scientific worldview. And that the, the worldview is that everything, every problem in this whole world can be solved scientifically. And I don't want to go into the, the, the rabbit hole of, of, of climate change, but as you can see, you know, there's a, a worldview that basically says we've got a problem with our world and the only way to solve that problem is scientifically. Now, once again, I'm not going to say that everything about the scientific worldview is wrong, but if we've got a scientific world, if there's a scientific worldview here, but we have a biblical worldview, there will be times when they will clash. And we have to understand what we believe and how we're going to respond as opposed to other worldviews round about us. Does, does that make sense? The biblical worldview say that the world is in decay. The, fa- the fact that we're walking this earth, we, that the world is decaying. And the Bible also says a lot of that has got to do with sin. If you go right back to the garden, it's got to do with sin. How do we solve sin? We don't solve sin by introducing a carbon tax. How do we solve sin? I think it's called repentance, isn't it? Now, I made that sound really, really simple. It is a lot more complex than that. But do you understand where I'm going from here? When these are the clashes of thoughts and ideologies that are all around us that we get bombarded with every day. I'm not saying we reject everything, but we've got to look at it through a particular grid and say, what are the decisions and what worldview am I going to operate from as a Christ-centered person? Yes? I've given you some thoughts within your study guide to think about uh, with regard to that. And like I said, we can hold many worldviews. There's nothing wrong with being proud to be an Australian. There's nothing wrong with that to that extent. But to what extent does it clash with our biblical worldview? I want to to tell you right now, I don't know whether you're following this or not, but a lot of the churches in the US at the moment are really, really struggling because the church generally in the US held a very high, prominent and revered position. It no longer has that position. And the problem is that what happens over a a period of time is that the US Christians develop this uh, a biblical and a nationalistic worldview together because they think what it means to be, you know, a, a flag waving American. Well, there's too many clashes now, and you, you, you've got to sort of pick one position or the other. It's really hard to be a Christian nationalist when they're at conflict with one another. And that's one of the dangers, and it has happened here in Australia. And that's why I think it's so important for us to separate ourselves to a large extent in that regard. But I'm not going to get political. All I'm saying is that we've got to work out our worldviews and operate within that. Now, let's have a look at this sub-point again. Relying on the Bible is foundational to shaping our understanding of Christ, our faith and the world. I think a good example of this we find in 2 Timothy 2 Timothy is a letter that Paul wrote to young Timothy as he's mentoring him and encouraging to be a leader. And Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through to 17. And he writes this. But as for you, 
Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that every servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work the bible informs us in our thoughts in our decisions and in our actions as we interact with other people now i I think it's important for us to do that gracefully it doesn't mean we go around with the bible and start hitting everybody over the head because they don't have the same worldview as us but i think it's important for us to establish a good worldview that helps us in decision making biblical worldview so here's a question. What, what's your worldview? What is predominant? When it comes to decision-making, that's, that's where it's the crunch. Comes to making a decision, what's going to cause you to make that decision? Where do you get your attitudes, values, and expectations? Third point of all of this is being led and empowered by the Spirit of Christ to live a life of worship. Being led and empowered by the Spirit of Christ to live a life of worship. Now, the Holy Spirit has been quite a controversial figure within the the Trinity, within um, Christendom. And it seems that we have this uh, incredible fascination, almost forgetting about what Christ has done and just having this uh, fascination with with the Spirit, through to the opposite experience, which is we're going to completely ignore God's Spirit. What is a healthy response become this um, unhealthily fascinated or to ignore. I remember many, many years ago, um, we were visiting a, a church and uh, remember that song, this is going to show, show how long ago it was, Father, we adore you. Father, we adore you. Lay our lives before you. You know that song? And we knew that song and we were singing along with it. And there's three parts to this song. There's Father, we adore you. Jesus, we adore you. And Spirit, we adore you. And this particular church singing, Father, we adore you. Lay our lives before you. Then when Jesus, we adore you. Lay our lives before you. That was the end of the song. I think they missed something here. And and this church was, was so concerned about not focusing on the Spirit that they completely ignored that. And so, to a certain extent, by, by saying that, that, they don't really believe in a trinity. They believe in a duo, itty, whatever it is. Um, they don't fully embrace what the Spirit of God is. Now, for many of us, it's been a reaction to, and we've seen unhealthy practices and fascinations in all those areas. But we have the Spirit of Christ within us. Now, I think a good example of this is in Acts chapter 1. Now, where else would you find it? In Acts chapter 1, um, verses 16 through to, uh, no, sorry, 6 through to 8. And Jesus said these words as he's leaving his disciples. He said, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, 
will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to him, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The spirit of Christ left with the disciples. The disciples, understandably, were scared. Jesus is announced that he is, he is going. And they're going to go, we're going to be all alone. Why can't you be with us? And he's saying, but you, you're not going to be alone. My spirit is with you. He says you will receive his power. You will be his witnesses. So if, if you are a follower of Jesus, God's spirit is in you. God's spirit is is in you not just when you're here in church singing not just when you're in your growth group discovering and praying together and reading the Bible. God's Spirit is with you at all times. And I think one of the dangers we have is we somehow think that God's Spirit sort of comes and goes and there are times when we, we need Him. And, you know, we used to sing songs like, you know, Come Holy Spirit. And I've got nothing particularly wrong with that song, but the, the impression of that song is that at some point the Spirit of God is not here and we sing Come Holy Spirit because we want God's Spirit to come and fill us. Well, God's Spirit has already filled us. Really what we're asking is, Holy Spirit, we want to be aware of your presence. Your full presence. We want, we want to have tangible sense that you are within us and it is a point of surrender when we say we surrender to your spirit to do what it is that you would do within us. It's not that the spirit has left us and we've got to usher in the spirit every time we have a particular need. What does the spirit of God do? The Bible says a number of things about God's spirit. It says the spirit of Christ is a comforter. The spirit of Christ comforts us when we are in distress. The Spirit of Christ is our counsellor. It guides us and teaches us. The, the Bible says that the Spirit of Christ is our helper. It helps us every day. I've often thought about this because I've been a Christian so long, sometimes you sort of think, what would it have been like before I was a Christian? But I think too often for those of us who have been Christians for decades, we just assume we, the way we operate not recognising what it is that God's Spirit has been doing with us every day to give us a passion for people, to give us inspiration, to teach us things when we're in the middle of a conversation with people and drop a thought into our head. We just take those things for granted too often, I think. I don't, maybe I'm the only person to do that, but I, I think too often we just take it for granted. We probably from time to time need to go back and say, thank you, thank you for your Spirit that has strengthened me today through my conversations with people, through my perseverance, through a difficult time. Thank you for your spirit. I am not alone. Now, here's the interesting point. This sub-point says, being empowered by the Spirit of Christ to live a life of worship. What do we mean by worship? What do we mean by worship? It's not just singing. It's not just what we do on a Sunday morning. It's not just praying. Worship 
is a number of things. But here's a key point. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is what? Your spiritual worship. Doesn't mention anything about singing, although, you know, singing is a part of worship. Doesn't mention anything necessarily about uh, praying or, or reading or a posture or anything. It basically says giving ourselves as a sacrifice. Surrendering. Surrendering is an act of worship. Handing ourselves over to allow God's spirit to have dominion in our lives. To be Christ-centered means enjoying a dynamic relationship with Jesus, relying on the Bible as foundational to shaping our understanding of Christ, our faith and the world, being led and empowered by the Spirit of Christ to live a life of worship. And the fourth point is this, believing God is able to do more than we ask or imagine. Ooh, that's an interesting statement. Probably taken from a passage such as Ephesians chapter 3. Now let's read and reflect on this passage. Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21. So common, it's, that's also been made into a song. I could just about sing every, every point here this morning. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. He's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. How much do you imagine? Do you believe this passage? Now think about your current situation, your life, your work, relationships, finance, health. Now apply this, this passage. How is this passage informing you? What is it saying to you? Now I think part of the problem is when we read this passage in isolation... I'm living a self-centered life. I want to live for my own purposes. I want to do this. I want to do that. Now I'm going to apply this passage and I'm going to ask you, God, to be my beck and call. No, I don't think that's what that passage intends. And I think if we put it in the grid of to live a Christ-centered life, in other words, if I am going to place Jesus Christ at the center of my life and I'm going to seek to live a dynamic relationship with him, that is going to transform me into the person that he's called me to be. Just like, you know, a, a dynamic and healthy marriage is going to transform and these people are going to become one, essentially. Be transformed people. And from that we develop, from reading the Bible, a biblical worldview that is going to inform us about Christ and about us and about others and about our world. It's going to inform us in that way. As God's Spirit leads us, so you know what, as we start to walk down that path, it's not about us, is it? It's not about what I want. It's not about my agenda. It's about me allowing the Spirit of Christ to take me to the places that he wants us to be. As we're looking at purpose and values and vision, God, where is it you want to take us? Not my agenda, your agenda. Now apply that passage. Do you see the difference? 
It's about what can bring, see, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. How can I bring glory to Jesus Christ in my life? And in that, he's wanting to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Because Jesus Christ is at the centre the centre of my life, the centre of your life, and at the centre of this church. Is this a value? Is this something about the way in which we operate? Whenever we seek to make a decision, Christ, you're at the centre of this church. We ask that you would help us to make the decision that brings glory to you. I encourage you to reflect on these questions and statements What does it mean for you as an individual? What does it mean for us as a church? Can you join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for what Jesus Christ has done for us, that we can belong to you. And in and through that, as we belong to you, we place you, Jesus Christ, at the centre of our lives, at the centre of this church. And we would pray that every decision, every thought, every action would reflect the central nature of Jesus Christ. I pray, Heavenly Father, as we go from here, as we interact with people, with all of the various worldviews and, and thoughts and opinions, Heavenly Father, we keep you at the centre. Fill us with grace. Fill us with mercy. Fill us with wisdom. That we may bring glory to you. And we are thankful, Heavenly Father, that through all of this, that you can do amazing things, more than we could ever have thought or imagined, that you can impact people that you can transform us and through our transformation, you'll transform other people through your work. Take us and use us, we pray, Heavenly Father, for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.